Welcome to the iSmart Podcast Show with Tom Rogers, founder and CEO of iSmart Networks. We help connect entrepreneurs with key partnerships to build financial freedom. The average millionaire has seven streams of income, and our guests reveal how they created multiple streams in their businesses. We believe that every person has a unique message that can positively impact the world. Stick around for the end of the show, where I'll reveal how you could be our next guest on one of the fastest growing daily transformational podcasts on the planet in 15 to 20 minutes. Let's go. Okay, thanks for joining iSmart Podcast. On the show today, we have Phil Black. He is the founder of PrepWell Academy. Uh, over the past three decades, Phil built a record of unique accomplishments, including Division I college athlete, the Navy SEAL officer, Goldman Sachs investment baker, bootstrap entrepreneur, two times Shark Tank contestant, performance coach at Johnson & Johnson, firefighter, husband uh, and father of four sons. He earned a bachelor's degree at Yale University and an MBA from Harvard Business School. Phil, thank you so much for being on the show today. You're welcome. Thanks for asking me to be on. Yeah, dude, you have some amazing accomplishments. And, uh, you know, we want to kind of go into those and what is prep well, uh, kind of in the middle of the show. But, you know, where did you originally grow up? I grew up on Long Island, New York, right in the middle of the island out there. A little bit uh, right in the middle, both ways. Long Island is part of New York, and I was about 15 minutes from the from the beach on the north coast, and about 15 minutes on the south coast, uh, and had a great upbringing, great childhood. Nice. So, like, uh, were your parents like entrepreneurs or business owners or anything like that? No, they were, we had a pretty traditional lifestyle. My dad was worked in the city, and back then it was a two-hour commute to where I lived in Suffolk County out to the city. He worked in Manhattan as, a, as an accountant. And then he would get on the train two hours in, two hours back. Now I think it's more like 50 minutes because of the technology and the train goes faster and there's fewer stops. There's an express line. But back then it was a long slog for my dad. And my mom was an organist at our church and did a little bit of teaching. So they were home a lot, pretty traditional. I had an older sister and a younger sister. And, um, no, no real entrepreneurship other than my sisters and me and, and, and friends and me starting entrepreneurship at a young age, but not really from my parents. Awesome. Well, that's interesting. Uh, was it like a lemonade stand or what did you guys do at a young age? Lemonade stands. I think the first real one that I did, my sister and I started, uh, well, actually there was a summer one that, that a buddy and my buddy and me started called Morning Delight. Morning and that was spelled M-O-O-R-N-I-N-G a little play on words because what we did was we realized we lived pretty close to the, to the North shore of the long Island. And we realized that there were a lot of people who were moored for the night within their boats, sailboats, motorboats, big boats, small boats. Right. And they had a, it was, it was a pain to get out of your boat and take a little dinghy into shore to get muffins and newspapers and ice and basically provisions for, for the day or for the trip that you're on. Mm -hmm. So my buddy and I had no experience in boating we didn't know anything, but we're like, hey, wouldn't it be great if we had a little boat that we could tool around and deliver people what they needed so they wouldn't have to get out of their big boat, get into a little dinghy and go in and come out. I'm literally buying a yacht boat. right now and it sounds fantastic. Like, I this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I mean, it, it. we learned a lot of lessons because number one, we had to learn how to navigate a boat. We had to get boating license and a captain's license. We put together some money and we got a, a tiny little boat 
a little Boston whaler. We figured out how to use it for a day or two. And then we, we got out on the open seas and we bought a bunch of bagels and donuts and put awesome. some Hawaiian shirts on and, and basically <laughs> made, made our maiden voyage. And we just, we literally just yeah. went up to boats and said, Hey, morning delight. Can we help you with some muffins or, or, um, or newspapers or ice or whatever it was. And we were so scared because we were pulling up against these boats and we were like two days old and knowing how to, how to navigate a boat and maneuver a boat. So anyway, we, we barely escaped disaster many times. And oh, literally the first day we pulled out, the Harbor Patrol came up to us and said, hey, you guys have a permit for this? Wow. And we're like, uh, we were in high school. We said, uh, no, what's a permit? So he basically <laughs> shut us down after after our first day out on the on the high seas. Oh man, yeah, first business, great idea, but yeah, you know, just, so I mean, I would say that's a that's a success, you know. <laughs> yeah, a little little lacking on the on the um, the preparation side. Say, or... <laughs> well, the preparation side, the permitting side, the the yeah. regulations, the rules side, but um, we were it, we were naive and we thing. gave it a shot, right? Yeah. Uh, fantastic. So, so, you know, that was, you were, you were just coming out of high school then, and that was your first experience. I'm sure it was a lot of fun. Sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, but then you went into Yale and, and Harvard business school. Was it, was Yale first or Harvard was first? Yale was first. And the other, the other entrepreneurial thing, which, uh, which I'll, I'll talk about for a second. My sister and I actually started a business called 540 Nightline. Okay. And N-I-T-E which was a play on words because it was basically a, a nightclub line and movies and, and bars and, and, uh, and happy hours. And this was back in the day when it, when the phone system came out where you could actually press one to go here, press two to go here, press three to go here. That was the new technology at the time. So we, my sister had the idea, why don't we create this phone number that people would call in and pay to call in and they would press one for movies, press two for nightclubs, press three for happy hours press four for, for the bar scene. And I was the salesperson who had to go out to get all of these nightclubs as clients to get their name and their happy hour specials or whatever it was onto Fifero Nightline. So I'm not a big, uh, I don't drink. I'm not a big party guy. So it was very unusual for me to have to go out at 11 or 12 in the morning yeah. trying to wrangle <laughs> these club owners and trying to pitch them on getting them to advertise on Fifero Night. So that was, that was indeed a, uh, a a pretty unique experience as that well. was like right after the mooring delight that was the next summer after that right before i i ended up at yale so i did i went to yale and and played basketball there and did little entrepreneurial things but i was busy i played basketball there and busy with schooling and busy over the summer training so had a little uh, a little delay in any entrepreneurship until until after that so until after yale or was it after also harvard well it was yale and then i I worked for Goldman Sachs for a few years after undergraduate. I worked as an investment banker, so there wasn't a lot of entrepreneurship there. I was working those 100-hour work weeks that you hear about. And then I had a, a big moment where I decided to shift gears and do what I actually wanted to do, which was to become a Navy SEAL. So I set out to to leave Goldman Sachs and, and train myself up and and, uh, and become a Navy SEAL officer, Quite the accomplishment, which, which took man. a while. Yeah, yeah it was tough. <laughs> Sure, it's never, it's never that. easy, you know, Yeah. Uh, the like whole, whole, uh, I don't know what we call them, like a, a clan of Navy SEALs, like which, uh, like which they were like, Hey, which, uh, which team are you on? Like, you know, like, I was just like, uh, we went to this, uh, went to this little meetup over in, uh, I've been in San Diego and it was over in the Mesa and it was like this big mansion with like lions, like on the statues. And I walk in, it's like a bunch of Navy dudes and I'm like, huh. <laughs> 
interesting. And I was, I don't know if I was invited to this little thing. And it was, I thought it was right. like one dude, this one dude was just going through, called himself a, uh, uh layman or something like that uh, like some kind of what he couldn't he couldn't call himself a navy seal he couldn't do it he was like i'm not gonna call myself a navy navy seal because he went through phase one where evolution yeah phase one was some some evolution and he couldn't pass it uh-huh. um so and i was like oh like so he's like he's a he was becoming on a navy seal and he was like no he's like he's like not i'm not that i'm not that you know um right. so it's a really interesting group of guys it, it, it's very challenging stuff you know he, he failed at that phase where it was like the drowning phase where like they basically force you to drown and you're like, you feel like you're going to drown and everything. And then, you know, it's, but you're not drowning, but it's like right. a moment where your mind is telling you like, Hey, you're drowning. And yeah, that was like one of the failed things. Do you, what was that? You passed that part. Yeah. Don't remind me, but yes, <laughs> uh, that, that is an interesting part. It's a, it's a little bit glorified in the, in the aftermath. There, are, there, there is a very, a very challenging underwater evolution that you have to do where they're spinning you and they're pulling your mask out of your mouth and you're, you're gasping for air and trying to turn your air on. They're spinning you around. So I, I don't know that they necessarily always drown everybody and then bring them back to life. But there are, there are moments where you feel like you're being drowned. And that's probably what he was referring to, but yes, it is, it is pretty challenging. I happen to be six foot seven, which is not your prototypical not your Navy ideal SEAL height, yeah, height no. and weight. So it was Jeez, a little dude. extra challenge for me just for fun. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, that's crazy. Um, well, dude, nice, nice work. So you did see, we see you went through that. How long were you in Navy SEAL before you kind of got out and went to entrepreneurship? I was in the SEAL teams for six years and then I left and went to Harvard business school after that, try to ease my way back into civilian life. How did that work out? Great. It was a two year program and it's it's always it's always going to be a hard segue going from the SEAL teams into anything, but it was challenging. It was it was uh, a lot of highly motivated people there, so I felt like I was in my element, which was nice. And awesome. used some of the things that I learned in in um, when I worked for Goldman Sachs, and of course a lot of leadership things in the Navy, and tried to learn as much as I can as business school. I didn't really have a plan per se when I went in went in, other than trying to get get my bearings again and figure out what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. Interestingly, 9-11 happened as I was finishing up business school. So that, like everybody else, that threw me for a loop, given yeah. that I was probably pretty close to being recalled back in, having yeah. just been out for a few years. And I was trying to decide, do I volunteer to go back in? Do I raise my hand? Do I wait to get called? Will I get called? My wife then tells me that she's pregnant with twins. So that threw a monkey into that whole program. And I decided that I was going to Leave it in, uh, leave it in the big man's hands, and figure out if I was going to get recalled or not. But otherwise, the the economy was not in great shape at the time, of course, because every everybody was in turmoil. Yeah, and I ended up going back to Goldman Sachs because I was a known entity there, and they pay well, and they have insurance, and I have newborn babies, and I decided to go back to the mothership and took a slightly different job in investment management, but nonetheless went back to to a, uh, a very challenging civilian private, uh, private job. Although at that time, Goldman was a public company as opposed to the first time when it was still private. Mm-hmm. And I only lasted there about six months. Wow. And I just, I, I know I came home one night and I was working really hard and, and my wife looked at me and said, she said, you have this blank stare. What's going on? Is work okay? I said, yeah, it works okay. You know, it's, you got to suck it up. You got to do what you got to do and make things happen. And she said, well, if you're not happy in that job, 
you need to do something else. You know, you need to live with some soul and live with, I want the old Phil back. Yeah. So I couldn't believe that she, she said that because we had a nice place in the marina. We had insurance. We had a Volvo station wagon. We had a job, you know, all these, all these things that seemingly right. seem like they're on the up and up. Yeah. You're like living the dream, you know? Yeah. That's what you would think. And so I, I figured if she was willing to, to hit the nuclear button on that, then let's go for it. So I, I told my, my boss the next day that I was, it wasn't, wasn't working for me. And we packed up the kids in a U-Haul and we said, as long as we're, we're going to blow everything up, let's go to where we actually want to live. And we moved down here to San Diego where I had, I had worked a little while in the, in the Navy. This is the place where we really wanted to be. The training is a Navy deal here as well, right? In San Diego. Yeah. yeah, yeah this is where okay. the training is. So you had some friends here, you had some connections. So it wasn't like a, you know, like, it's not like you've never been here before. You had some really good deep connections. And that was obviously, this is a huge, huge seed place for entrepreneurship too. Yeah, I would, I would, in my mind, maybe it seemed like that. I did not have too many friends because I had gone through training six years ago. Okay. So by then everyone had gone their separate ways and I had not been back to San Diego in a while. So I didn't feel like I was from New York. I went to, for training for uh, you know six to nine months, but I didn't particularly have a lot of friends here. Okay. So we actually did drive down here with not really a lot of friends, no job and no place to live. And twin four-month-olds so <laughs> we, we were we were hitting rock bottom you guys are crazy yeah but we we pulled things off i started doing some personal training with with uh at, at that time having been a seal and i was a personal trainer by then probably for 10 or 15 years so i was doing some personal training i was doing a little bit of consulting on the side yeah and was getting interested in firefighting uh, i'm a firefighter right now i've been a firefighter for 15 years so back then uh we quickly realized that I had to get a job of some kind. My wife was with the kids. I wound up becoming a firefighter. I wound up doing this consulting, uh, both on the business side and on the personal training side. And then I had my big aha moment, as it were, sitting in the parking lot and I, or sitting in our, in our driveway. And I said, it's, it's getting more and more expensive here. Firefighters don't make that much money. I need to do something to generate more income. And I, I literally have, and I still have it. I have a folder in my computer on business ideas. So I, I went to my room, I double clicked on that and I have a big long list of, there's gotta be a hundred and something ideas that I've accumulated over time. And the first one on the list was FitDeck, fitness playing cards. <laughs> and the idea there was, it was a combination of a game that I played in college back at Yale, where we would, we would call what we would do what's called a push-up game. We would play poker at night just to blow off some steam in between studying for exams. And at one point I grabbed the deck of cards. I'm like, Hey, we got to We got to mix something up guys. Let's, let's have a push-up contest. And they said, okay, well, why don't you get down and do as many push-ups as you can? And I was like, well, that, that doesn't sound as fun as it did when I first said it, let's do something else. Let's take this deck of cards, shuffle them up. And I guarantee that I'll do 28 cards. Every time you flip a card, I'm going to do that many push-ups. So they said, all right, let's see it. So I flipped my first card, second card, third card, and I flipped my 28th card and I did, I don't know, 70 some odd pushups and I barely yeah. squeezed it out. <laughs> so then of course the competition kicked in and my buddy picked up the deck. He's like, I'm going to do one more than you. I'm going to do 29 cards. So we reshuffled the deck and he started flipping his cards and doing pushups uh, based on what the flip of the card was. And he wound up getting a king and a king and an ace and a jack and a jack all in a row. <laughs> he got ruined. And he got ruined and landed on his face. And so we abused him about that. And then my other roommate <laughs> said, hey, I want to get in on this. Let me try it. And we started doing this every night, this little game. We called it Pug, short for push-up game. 
And it became a thing that people were coming over to our room and playing. And um, we eventually stopped because we all graduated and left. And then later as a SEAL, we would do the same thing with my, with my platoon mates. And at some point, I thought sitting in that parking lot, why stop at push-ups? Why not create a custom deck of cards that had push-ups and sit-ups and pull-ups and jumping jacks and leg levers yeah. and eight-count bodybuilders, all the things that we had done in the SEAL teams? Why not create a deck where you had all those things written on the card instead of the, instead of the numbers so that you could play actual cards with it? So that was the idea. I started sketching things out and got a prototype on index cards and started practicing with other people. And eventually we took that leap of faith, my wife and I, that we were going to buy 10,000 decks of these fit deck cards. Wow. And we cobbled together some money and I had a, a, a business school friend who actually was, was running operations for a playing card company. Yeah. And bing, bang, boom, we had 10,000 decks of cards show up in our garage on a pallet a couple <laughs> months later. That is intense. <laughs> so you have all these cards. Did you have any ways of selling this, all these cards or was there like we a sold them on, We sold them online. Yeah, it was, it was crude back then, but we did, we did sell them online. We went to trade shows. We sold them to stores. We sold them to individuals. It wasn't anything like it is now. I mean, I wish, I wish that I had Instagram back then where you could flash a card up on an Instagram story or something and then do a push up. So it, it's very demonstrable in a short Instagram clip like that. Yeah. But back then it was not social media was just in its, in, in its, what inception. year was this well, when Pug was kind of, this was let's see probably 2005, 2006. Okay. So it was then, slowly coming around. So you built it for a little bit. And was this one of the like two times shark tank contestant? Ideas or yes, yes. I had grown the business for six or seven years and was selling it online, was selling it in bulk to the military and selling it to school systems. And that by that time we had 40 different decks. We had fit deck yoga, fit deck Pilates, fit deck stretching, fit deck Navy SEAL, a whole a whole line of different decks for different people. And we were selling quite a few from our garage. Um, we had sold $5 million worth of these decks over the course of seven nice, years. Dude. That's awesome. That's a little idea that's like in the, yeah. in your, in, in just with you, your friends, like inside of a college dorm, and then you expand it off it. It's, you know, I always say people are like, there's people literally making billions of dollars off of a straw, you know, like something, right. but like right. <laughs> silly, but you know, I mean, there you can yeah. make a lot of money on, 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 on crazy things. So that's amazing. So you built it and then you got on Shark Tank. Was this like Mark Cuban and all these guys or was it these guys? Yeah. Yeah. Same crowd. In fact, the second time they intentionally put me with my first crowd just so they could have the, uh, the little, uh, you know, redemption episode, if you will. And part, <laughs> part of the hook was I didn't get a deal on the first, uh, on my first Shark Tank episode, but at the end, it's, it's a bit of a story about I was trying to go mobile with the cards and they didn't like at the time, they didn't like mobile apps because they didn't make money. They said I should stick with my knitting, keep selling those, those physical cards, the analog version of the cards. So anyway, they said, hey, we like you. We like the idea. We don't love the idea from an investment point of view going mobile because we don't see there's a, a good ROI there. But you have an open invitation to come back with a new idea that you have. So you can be sure that I didn't forget that. No. So P.S., <laughs> We got a lot of publicity from the show, and, and within, I think it was six months, I had sold that FitDeck business to another company. We had gotten a lot of attention, a lot of people and partners and, yeah. and acquirers who, who were really interested in us because we had a good business, right. and we ultimately sold the business, and then about six months later, I started my new business, Preple Academy, 
And then I was waiting for the time that I was going to call them back and try to turn in my chit to come back. And it took a little while, but ultimately they said, hey, we really like this Preple idea. We want you to come back. We want you to go back to your original crew of sharks so they can see what happened in the, in the intervening four or five years. Right. It's like a good setup story, right? So you can right. be like, hey, you know, Pug, remember this guy? I think it showed preview clips of when you were on there. And right. now it's like, here's this new business idea. It's a, it's a great, it's like a, it's like a sequel, right? right? So it makes a lot of sense. Great. So then, so when you, so when did you present Prepwell to the, the Shark Tank crew? I presented to them April of last year, April of last year. Yeah, it was, it was about a, almost a year after I taped it, which was odd. And it was it was it was more odd because we weren't in a pandemic back then and when the when the show actually aired we were right at the beginning of the pandemic so when with the things that they were saying oh i'm not sure people are going to buy into it mark cuban told happened to tell me which he didn't hear on tv but it got cut out but he he told me that he didn't think that college admissions advice was that big a deal because his daughter didn't seem like she needed that much advice and i said <laughs> mark you're a billionaire <laughs> I know your daughter has all kinds of activities and she doesn't have any problem figuring these things out. She probably has a little leg up versus most people yeah. who are spinning their wheels trying to figure out what Just to slightly. do. Slightly, just a little one, you know. Right. So your 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 uh, your your sample size of one may not be the most uh, yeah. the most telling for the rest of the country. So anyway, it was a little bit odd that back when I taped it in June and then it, it, it aired in April right after the right after the pandemic started that that actually gave us a boost because people were home. They couldn't go anywhere. The show still aired. We had a lot of attention, got a lot of people to come to our website and sign up and tell other people. And then it's aired a few more times after that, which again is, has been nice, but it turns out that they did not want to uh, invest in prep. Well, again, which, which was fun, not, not that fun, but it was a, an interesting exchange. At this um, point, like you already knew that there, that, that, that this was good for you. Like Shark Tank being on air. Oh yeah. Was a great thing. Like, like it basically it, it celebritized Pug, and then it got it to the point where you could like you know you could leave and you sold it right, and then sure. you could do the same thing with Prepwell, you know, put it on there like great, it's a solid advertisement. I did the same thing with the with with Ty Lopez. We partnered with Ty Lopez. He promoted my car wash business, you know, in a box to right. all of his fans and everything, and we like expanded nationally, you know. So right. I mean, it's it, he didn't invest you know in in my business right. but he promoted right. it you know and i gave him a little bit sure. of a cut you know it's fine so so they didn't why didn't they invest in prepwell well, i think their i think their uh their pushback was and it, i'll admit that they have some good points because it is challenging number one to try to motivate 14 year olds and 15 year olds my business is a little bit different from mo normal college admissions counseling most college admissions counselors uh, they wait until you're in 11th or 12th grade when you're really panicked and you really have no choice but to try to have some help. And then they mm -hmm. swoop in. Uh, in my case, I have an online program starting from ninth grade where I give them videos every week that try to help them along, prompt them what they should be doing when, not waiting until 11th grade when the die has already been cast and then try to swoop in at the end and try to try to help them with whatever they have. I try to help build them and help them build their profiles and build their body of work so that by the time they're juniors and seniors, they're more well set up. The challenge with that is that most 14 and 15-year-olds don't necessarily have a two or three-year horizon where they're really motivated to do, I wouldn't say it's a lot of work, but it's an extra five or 10 minutes of listening to a video a week. Mm -hmm. But 
so not only do you have to convince the child that this is a benefit to them, but you have to convince the parent to convince the child. So yeah. there are certainly some some challenges, and I and I appreciate uh, you know their their uh, some of their insights. The fun part about it was that in the end they said, "Hey, we still like you. We <laughs> want you to keep doing what you're doing." And oh, by the way, we're going to give you a third chance to come back on Shark Tank if this you would like. Really this is unprecedented. Awesome. No one's ever gotten this opportunity before. Wow. So once again, the floodgates were open and now I have emails and emails and emails of other entrepreneurs who want me to take them back on the show, yeah. which I don't think would have quite the punch as, as it would bringing your own show, your own business back as yeah. opposed to bringing somebody else's business. Uh, my sons, I have four sons, so they're angling to try to start a business and have the father-son angle to get back and say, my dad couldn't do it. He failed twice past the, <laughs> the time to the younger idea. generation. <laughs> yeah, that's so, actually pretty, we'll that's actually pretty good. I kind of like that a little. Yeah, bit. we'll see how that goes. <laughs> I love it. Um, so, so with Prepwell, essentially, you know, this is kind of just like the platform. It's also like a like a mentorship program, very similar, you know, through like the education process. Where did you where did you develop the information from it? I mean, you have four sons, so I'm, I'm assuming you just, you've learned how to coach them through schooling through the process. And then you just took sure. that information and you put it into some kind of like online course. Is that right? Right. Well, that and working with students, I started, I, I went back to school to get credentialed in college admissions counseling. And you know what, what my, when I was thinking after I sold FitDeck was, and I sat back and like a lot of people think, well, what kind of business should I start? What should I do? What do I like? What do I not like? What can be a viable business? What's the model? And I kept coming back to the same thing. I, I, I happen to have a weird superpower, if you will, which is I seem to know how to get into very difficult and competitive programs, whether it's Yale or Harvard Business School or Goldman Sachs or or the Navy SEALs or you know the or Shark Tank now Shark Tank twice. I, I'm not the smartest guy in the room. I'm not the greatest athlete of anybody. I don't come from money. I don't have a big legacy. I don't have any of those things. But what I do know how to do is to prepare early in the process to get everything right and get everything lined up and to present myself in a way that somehow has been proven three, four, five, six times in a row at the most elite level. So mm-hmm. I said, well, this college admission stuff, as my kids were starting to go through the program, it's very competitive. It's very difficult. What can I do in my experience over the last 20 or 25 years? Can I take some of what I've learned, some of the lessons, some of the, the, um, the strategies, the tactics, some of the mindsets from being a Navy SEAL and working at Goldman Sachs and and getting onto all these programs and marketing and running businesses. These are all very difficult, very low percentage um, success things. Can I take some of those things and then add some of the the generic everyday things that an an everyday college admissions counselor to do and sprinkle that with a lot of my own unique mindsets and training and put together a long-term program, a long-term curriculum over the course of years and so I used some of the some of the generic everyday things like when should you start studying for the SAT and how should you put your classes together. And I overlaid that with some of the more innovative things, some of the more unique things that a person who is a guidance counselor or a person who is a college admissions counselor who's been an, an English teacher for 25 years, they may not have that type of experience. They may have really deep experience in the college admissions process and mm-hmm. worked with a lot of kids. But... I tend to attract kids to Preppel Academy who are what I call high potential, high aspiration kids, kids that want to go to maybe the Naval Academy or West Point or or some kind of military track 
or they want to go to a top 20 school or they want to be an, a, a, an athlete in college. Kids that want to get after it typically get, typically get attracted to me because I give them some slightly more sophisticated and slightly more in-depth advice as to what they should be doing to make these things happen. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. You know, you're attracting, you know, you're that energy. So therefore you're attracting that, you know, when your videos, you probably present a lot of that information that you click with those kind of individuals. So it makes sense. W right. With PrepWell, um, how is like the compensation structure as a look? Do you pay like per enrollment of a student and they go in? Like I know with, the, with my online courses, I just, you know, I integrated it into like a business opportunity, right? So mine was a little bit different. But Ty Lopez's courses, you pay like, you know, $4.97 for his course. What is it like for PrepWell? Yeah, we try to keep it pretty simple because a lot of parents have so many of these types of programs available, whether it's club sports or, or um, Khan Academy or whatever it might be. It's $15 a month. It's a subscription model, membership model, wow. and you can stay or go as you please. If you're in it for four months and you're not getting the value out of it, you just can say, I've had enough. So we have some people who are in it for six months and then they they disenroll because the student isn't, isn't engaged in it. And we have some people who start on day one of freshman year and go all the way through senior year and, and everybody in between. So that's the, you know, what I call the, um, you know, our online program. And then I have a small cadre of kids that I work with one-on-one, -on -one, which is the typical college admissions counselor model where they have a group of kids and they work with them. Uh, they Skype with them. They, they zoom with them. They help them with their essays. So I do that. It's a, it's a longer term engagement. I usually start with them in sophomore or junior year. And I typically don't take more than 10 students, 10 what I call private students at once. Other, other admissions counselors typically take 30, 40, 50. Uh, but I usually take kids who, who, in the business world, we would say uh, a deal with a lot of hair on it, meaning there's a lot of moving pieces. They have yeah. to get congressional nominations. They have to send videos to coaches in sophomore year with highlight reels from, from their, uh, their soccer games and highlights. So there's a lot of things going on that take that takes a quarterback who can organize and coordinate all those things as opposed to a plain vanilla person who just wants to apply to these three schools. They have a pretty um, generic Those are also background. much better testimonials as well. Like when those people succeed, it's like, man, you, you know, you feel great being able right. to help and coach someone along with, all, with those, you know, those kind of aspirations and goals. Yeah. And they value the advice too. You know, there's, there's plenty of, it's not great as a teacher and as a coach and as a mentor, when you feel like you're trying to give your best and the student is just not receptive for whatever reason, they're not mature enough, they don't need you, they have everything figured out. That's not as exciting as the kids who really want, it really value what you have to say and actually mm -hmm. execute on it. That's, that's what really gets me fired up. Super cool. Uh, great. Well, so I'm curious, how, how was the, how was the launch, you know, with, with Shark Tank, you know, how, how did PrepWell do after those videos just premiered, I guess? Yeah. I mean, it's been great. I don't know how much to attribute to Shark Tank because this pandemic has really opened people's eyes to the fact that, wait a second, my kids aren't going to school now. We don't have the option to go to the, the quarterly in the auditorium college night. You know, maybe those things are going to be through Zoom, but it seems like yeah. I know I have four kids in um, in middle school and three in high school going through, and it just seems like the college admissions counseling part of school is put on the back burner because there's actual learning, there's math, there's science, there's really the the top level things that everyone's trying to figure out. So, but the college admission stuff is not going away. So we've had a lot of people, including school systems, that are coming to us saying, "Hey, can we roll out your program to our entire school district?" That's amazing. So, 
that's been a very nice, you know, it's, it's nice to get the individual memberships and they're growing because the more people see Shark Tank and the more people get through, it starts to grow organically because people have good experiences and then they, t- they tell two people and so on. Of course, but yeah. A new interesting, uh, I wouldn't call it a pivot necessarily because I've always had it in my mind, but this this pandemic has opened the eyes of school teachers like, hey, I know we have to do admissions counseling, but I'm not an expert in that, but we're going to carve out 10 minutes at the end of this class or 15 minutes at the end of homework or homeroom or 10 minutes at the end of the advisory class. We need content. Who's got content? So I have four years of content ready to go. There we go. You know, you've been working on that. Did you plan this? I mean, let's be real. (laughs) Did you plan the pandemic? Were you behind the whole thing? (laughs) No, I I wasn't. I I don't (laughs) know. Over the entire school system. There was, there were school counselors and then Prepo came. And they all disappeared. Uh, right. <laughs> yeah, coincidence? <laughs> coincidence? I think not. <laughs> right. <laughs> Three times Shark Tank. You know. <laughs> right. <laughs> I love it, right. dude. I love it. Um, that's really cool. So, so really, the pandemic has actually accelerated the growth um, with Prepwell and everything. And you know, this—it's really interesting to see the things. Like, I have a, I have a five-year-old son and a three-year-old daughter, right? And so my five-year-old's just going into like you know preschool. And, you know, they gave him an iPad and had him do start doing online classes. And I'm like, man, like, this is like, I don't even know what to think about this because, right. you know, I remember, I remember going like, like preschool, like, okay, like go on a bus, you know, like, see you later, like, good luck, you know? All right. And um, yeah, it's, it's just so different now. So what do you see like in the future? Like wh- what are schools are going to look like, you know, going from even, even like, you know, elementary schools all the way up into to high school and college? Is it, do you think it's all going to be online? I don't know that it's going gonna, it's gonna to all be online, but I think we have been forced because people in the past have said, oh, eventually it's going to go online. It's so much more efficient. It's just as good for 90% of the stuff. It's just as good as you sitting in class and watching a lecture. Why not sit at home? So that's always been in the offing. But this is the first time that just by 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 dint of, I wouldn't say luck, but by dint of, of um, the pandemic, that we're being forced into this. Yeah. So it's accelerating maybe two, three, five, ten 10 years of flirting with this idea of online learning and what's going to be the best model. It's been compressed into six months, seven months. And now we're actually potentially going to go through a whole year of kicking the tires on this thing. And so there are going to be good things. There are going to be bad things. I think the good things are going to be cost savings. Um, People feel like they're being more efficient. They're figuring it out. It's almost, it's almost a, if you like the way it used to be, the more efficient things get, the worse it's going to get for you if you're a traditionalist because you don't you almost you're almost rooting for it not to be as seamless and smooth as you want to be but at the same time you don't want to ruin your kids education so i always talk to people and they're very conflicted by i'd love this to really work because i want my son or daughter to learn but i don't want it to work too well because i still think that there's a lot of value in that personal going to school going to campus sitting in in the classroom with the teacher having that that face to face and seeing people's body reaction and so it's, it's, it's very odd. Uh, I feel it very odd and I feel very conflicted as to, am I cheering for it or am I cheering against it? Now, certainly yeah. I'm cheering against it when it comes to restaurants closing and, and, and huge swaths of businesses and industries going under never to come back. Of course, I don't like that aspect to it. I do like the efficiencies. Maybe that maybe the climate's going to get a little better given the the fewer people driving, and mm. it's it's just a big mishmash of of pros and cons. And yeah, I know that's how I feel about it. Because when I was thinking about him being online, I'm like, okay, well, 
you know, he goes into a room and he's sitting on an iPad. So I, I don't like him being like addicted now to this thing that he has to learn on. But then there also is like, okay, well, he's going to be great with technology. He's going to be, you know, he can learn as fast as he wants to, right? There's no um, like limit. Sure. If he accelerates faster through it and he doesn't have a faster time frame, then he can go through and go to the next stages more faster than other kids. So it's right. more kind of independent learning and skills. But then, you know, then the lack of connection. So you're, it's really hitting you're, you're like, yeah, like you said, pros and cons, right? Right. Um, but regardless, you know, we know that there's this massive trillion dollar space right now that is in a rehaul. It's been flipped upside down and, you know, things have to change. This is one, one of the, one of the spaces that I think is really, really massive in this. And maybe you, maybe you agree with this there's, um, is like the overly, like overly huge uh, evaluation of zoom right now, <laughs> right. With how many people are using it and how like, just horrible it is like it's great whatever but it's just not what we were really intending it for like it's way overmatched you know for for how many people are undermatched on how, how how many people are using it right now so what's your thought process as far as like virtual learning or virtual connection things like that like moving forward what are your thoughts on that like where do you think it would go I don't really know. I wouldn't say I'm a big tech guy. I have, I do run a tech company, I guess. I do run an online learning platform. It's, it's, I run a pretty, pretty, I try to keep it as simple as possible because of, of my clientele, parents going crazy. I keep it super simple. I know my wife and my kids have been freaking out because they're opening up their, their new canvas or their new application. And there's all kinds of applications. Are we doing Microsoft teams? Are we doing Google classroom? Are we doing clever? Are we doing this? Are we doing that? So at some point, somebody's going to come out as the winner here. I don't, I don't know what it's going to be. It's going to, there's going to be a lot of growing pains in the meantime, but this is how industries are made. This is how industries flourish. And it's not, I don't think it's going to be smooth, mm -hmm. but I mean, I'm sure the people at zoom are, are working 24 hours a day because they, they have the name recognition now and they have everybody working on it. Um, I think it's going to, I think it's going to be perfected faster than it would be otherwise just oh, because yeah. of the, the attention and the reps and the reps and the reps. Any amount of money that's already in the space. Like, yeah, you know, like, all these universities. I did another entrepreneur, uh, you know, what was it Patrick Bet David, if you're familiar with him, uh, he he like predicted that like universities are gonna close, like these huge massive universities are closed. Do you think that's gonna happen or you think they're maybe just gonna shift or what? Well, I think on the edges, I get I get a lot of information I get from in my business, a lot of information in the higher education newsletters and and, and a lot in that in that realm. So some of the schools that have been on the edge of financial solvency pre-pandemic, they will likely go under in, in the coming years, I think without doubt, or they'll be, they'll be acquired by other companies. Some of the big players that have the bigger endowments, they're going to have a longer runway. They have, they have more, some of the more brand name schools are always going to attract plenty of, of people who are applying. It's usually not the issue for them is usually not getting the right number of people, but it's those it's those smaller schools, the less brand name schools that are right on the edge that are that most people don't know it, but they're they're on the edge every single year trying to fill the seats, literally fill the seats. It's getting even more difficult this year, and I don't want to get too much into the into the weeds on the college admissions, but it's getting a lot more difficult for colleges to manage their enrollment because so many students these days are applying to so many different colleges that the algorithms that they used to use to determine whether a student would actually um, it would actually accept their admissions offer if they got admitted are completely thrown out of whack. They, they could get pretty close 
say five years ago that they had all kinds of systems in place where you lived, what type of background, your demographic, what you wrote in your essays, how far away from campus you lived, how many times you called the school, did you go on a school tour, did mm. you did you um, go on their website, how many times? So they have a, it's a million dollar business trying to figure out if we give this kid a yes, will this kid come to our school? It's a very big deal. It's called yield. The higher the yield, the better. The more offers that people accept because it it looks as if, oh, you can't turn that school down. Everybody's accepting the offer. So these days, schools, that's why the waiting lists are getting so long. They're putting thousands and thousands of kids on the wait list because if they offered five years ago, if they offered 2,000 people admissions, they know that 1,100 of them would probably say yes. These days, they offer 2,000 and 65 of them will say yes. And then they have to start pulling off the waiting list. So it's very difficult. Uh, One of the things that colleges have to do is manage matriculation. They have to manage enrollment because that's where the money comes from. With the pandemic, a lot of people are asking for more financial aid. So now schools are being a little bit more what we call um, need aware or need conscious, meaning if they have to decide between student A and student B, student A can can pay full freight. Student B is asking for financial aid. Guess who they're going to accept? Right. Yeah. They're going to take the full pay person. So I guess that's a long way of saying a long way around of saying, I think the the colleges that were smaller, less well endowed, more community colleges, more community colleges, less brand name, less, uh, less draw in terms of, of, um, of being quote unquote, a famous school. I think they're going to have a, a lot of problems. And more centralizing, like as far as the, the learning online, like the way, I mean, do you think that the majority of the learning would be on the online? Obviously, there will be in-person, you know, learning at some point. But maybe this is kind of forcing more of a majority online learning kind of space um, that, you know, could be, you know, like these huge big names, like they could almost do their entire um, degrees, like in online, you know, maybe it's not like people just are going in and just meeting for celebratory, you know, (laughs) like events, you know. Oh, congratulations, you know. Right. Or uh, if you look at, I don't know if you're familiar with Khan Academy, K-H-A-N, you should, you should look into it for your oh, final. Yeah, yeah. I think of, yeah, yeah, I've heard, yeah. Yeah. Sal Khan uh, went to business school with me. He started Khan Academy and he, his idea, he says that, you know, he flips the classroom on its head. Instead of going to class and listening to a teacher teach you at the blackboard where a third of the kids are going to be disinterested. A third of the kids are going to be way ahead and bored. And there's going to be some kids in the middle who are just right. So two thirds of the class is either bored or, or uninterested because it's too hard. And then there's going to be a few people in the middle who the teacher happens to get it just right. Why not send everybody home, have them learn through Khan Academy, learn at their own pace, and then have a teacher have a dashboard tracking each of the students in the class. And then they come into the classroom and they sit in pods, ability pods. All the kids who are, you know, at XYZ level, they sit in this pod and other kids over here. And then the student teachers walk around and they, and they sit with the individual pods and they help them solve problems and they help all kids that are about at about the same the, level. The level that they are. That's so right. They, yeah. They cluster them together. So the kids who need a little bit more help, they're getting a different type of advice. The kids who are way ahead and they're already doing calculus in sixth grade, they, they get to improve that way instead of, instead of putting everybody in this one room and very few of the kids are, are, you know, I call it the Goldilocks. Very few of the kids have it just right. And everybody else is, is it's subpar. I love it, man. Yeah, that is, that is like really, really fantastic. It's honestly, you know, I want to, I want to look into Khan Academy, but then also it, it feels 
if you know that's that is the direction that you know i think uh we're going to be going in the in the schooling industry or this like this huge space that's being transformed um and it's really nice to know that prepwell is you know making those additional changes and helping and guiding along the process uh, and uh it's it's really quite fantastic one one thing that i always like to go into right at the end on the pandemic is let's just say that you know an imaginary kind of space prep well was completely like automated you built it you sold it it did, it did everything you wanted it to do and you know you exited the company uh and right now in this moment you could create a new business that was going to be impactful and be able to change the world what would you do and prep well's off the table right prep well's off the table because it, it already made it right right it already made it uh so what am i gonna go back to shark tank with that's a good question you got you got a whole list of ideas inside your, i do uh, have a whole list i feel like pulling <laughs> them up right now i i would probably be inclined i have a couple of business school mates of mine who are working with on on the environment they're working with um this one in particular is working with putting devices in rivers that generate electricity, the power of the river, they drop, they drop this, I forget how big it is, it's about the size of a, like a, like a small car mm-hmm. and they drop it in and, and, the, and the pressure of the river or the, the current of the river turns these, I don't know if I'm using the right, the right terminology, but these turbines and those turbines create electric power, solar power. And these things, these things can be placed in different uh, river mouths and gener- generate a lot of, uh, of electricity and power. And I, I was very intrigued talking to my buddy about that. And I think something along those lines, probably something with solar, something with uh, something in the environment, I think would probably be my next, my next big jump. It's a huge, it's a huge space. I mean, that's uh, environmental green. Like that's, that's the way, the way of the future electric cars going crazy. So I mean, it's definitely sustainable and also really rewarding as well. So, yeah, um, great, dude. Well, uh, you know, I think it's been phenomenal. It's like listening to Prepwell and the amazing accomplishments that you've been able to have over the years. Uh, is there anything that you're looking for to accelerate Prepwell or the audience that, you know, maybe uh, they could reach out to you? And um, is there anything you're looking for specifically to help um, continue Prepwell? Well, of course, if there's anybody out there with a sixth, seventh, eighth grader, ninth, tenth, eleventh, or twelfth grader, not twelfth grader. We actually don't allow people to enroll once they get into 11th grade because in my philosophy, I, I like to start in ninth and 10th grade and then they eventually, they, they build into the curriculum at 11th, 12th grade. If I opened it to 11th graders, everybody would wait till they're in 11th grade. So it's a little forcing function and a marketing thing that I use to say that you have to be enrolled by your sophomore year. It actually forces them to, uh, to engage with the content and um, so I'm, I'm interestingly leaving a lot of money on the, t- on the table, people tell me, because mm-hmm. people say, I can't believe you're turning it off in 11th grade. Everybody starts thinking about it in 11th grade. Right. So my response is, that might be true, but what I really value is the kids starting in ninth grade putting together their body of work so that by 11th grade, they're not stressed and they're not panicking. That's, that's not yeah, where that's I about money. my mark. It's not about money. It's about meaning, right? right. That's what your meaning is. Yeah. Super so if there are people out there who have kids in in seventh eighth grade they're a little young because it doesn't open till ninth grade but certainly ninth and tenth graders who need a mentor like me i like to say that that it's almost like i'm their uncle and i walk over to their house and i tap them on the shoulder because the videos are are relatively short i understand I've, i've experimented with how long they should be and i've pulled the students and they say yeah between five minutes and seven minutes is about what our attention span is so it's literally like i go over to their house and i tap them on the shoulder and i say hey listen crystal this week, we really have to work on study habits. 
right? So this week we really have to uh, we really have to think ahead about who you might want your um, your person who's going to write your letter of recommendation. We need to think about that now, but it's a year ahead of time. I know that. Trust me. Right, I yeah. want you to think about it now so that you do great during the year. So that at the end of the year you'll have no problem asking them for a letter because you absolutely crushed the year. So it's like me being their uncle, coming over, tapping them, and giving them just little breadcrumbs along the line every single week to hopefully try to be that help them be the best they can be. I love it. That's fantastic. How do how do they uh, get a hold of you, Phil, or or get a go on to Prepwell? They can just go to Prepwell uh, PrepwellAcademy.com. And if they want to get a flavor for me and some of the things that I do, we also have a podcast, Prepple Academy. And um, you'll have a year's worth of, of me on, on a bunch of different episodes talking about things from younger kids all the way to the pandemic and SATs and when to take them, when not to take them, what the, what the acceptance rate is going to be this year and everything in between. Awesome. I love it, guys. Well, if you wanted to go ahead and uh, check out Prepwell, uh, go to his website and, you know, Phil, dude, you have uh, such, a, such a phenomenal story, dude. And, uh, you know, you've done a lot of great things. I'm excited. I'm gonna have to watch your shake Shark Tank episodes right after this. because I want to see these things. Uh, and then uh, also, you know, kind of prep and see what's going on with Shark Tank number three. So are you open to any um, people presenting different ideas and going in, into business with them? Or are you kind of more doing the father son thing? That's kind of the direction. Um, I am open to it. I, I can't promise that I will reply to every single email, but I do read them, but it would be, I, I'd have to hire somebody to go back to everybody. Yeah. So I do read them and I do have a little, a little section like that little business ideas, um, folder that I talked about. I do have that little space that if the timing's right and you never know what's going to happen. Um, so yeah, feel free to reach out to me. I'm, I'm always open. Okay. Fantastic. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for being on the show, Phil. Thank we'll you. hopefully have you on a little bit later on this year. That'll be great. All right. Cheers. Take care. Thanks for listening to the iSmart Podcast Show. If you are a business owner with multiple streams of income or professional who would like to be on the daily program, please visit iSmartNetworks.com slash guest. If you got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. If you do that, tag us with hashtag iSmartPodcast. Each month, we scour Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. We pick one winner from each platform and you get crowned king or queen of that social media. What do you win? We'll promote you and your business to our media fans totally free. Can you also hook us up? In your podcast player right now, please give us a thumbs up or a rating and review. We promise to read it all and take action. We believe that every person has a message that can positively impact the world. Your feedback helps us fulfill that mission. While you're at it, hit that subscribe button. You know why? Tomorrow. That's right. Seven days a week, you are going to be inspired and motivated to succeed 15 minutes a day. Thanks for listening. And thank you for being a part of the iSmart Podcast.